everybody and welcome back to something old something new something borrowed and something brewed uh, as always i'm andrew j pytel and with me in the studio is nick lancaster and Hello. i know that nick's particularly excited about some guest action on this episode so. <laughs> uh, a little bit yeah uh so with us today is chris wade who i just now am realizing we did not ask how he wanted to be introduced Oh yeah, got oh we are <laughs> consummate professionals yes. at the credits. Um, tell us your credits so we can say that. <laughs> uh, hi, uh, I'm Chris Wade. I produce a podcast called Chapo Trap House and produce and host a podcast called And Introducing. I guess you would call me just a uh, podcast producer by uh, by trade. Awesome. We. Uh, we're pretty excited about some of the albums we've got pulled for today. It's very on brand for the show. Uh, and Nick, I, th- I think it's your turn to kick us off. It is. Um, I figured since this might be uh, your last episode for a little while, surprise. Yeah, I might um, be. Uh, I am bringing in an album that I feel like is both near and dear to our hearts. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how you feel about Ben Folds, Chris. You said in the email that it's uh, it's like the first time listening to this in a while. But yeah, I this, was a, bringing... this would have been a, a heavy, like, ninth, tenth grade uh, rotation for me, but something that I then fell off uh, completely. I have not uh, listened to Ben Folds in, in, like, I don't know, 15 years or something. But this, this <laughs> at one awesome. point had a, was in heavy rotation. Oh, yeah. And I think that what you said about, like, tenth grade, that's, like, the perfect time period for when I was listening to this the most as well. Yeah. Uh, it is the unauthorized biography of Reinhold Messner by Ben Folds 5, which is... Their last album until 2012, when yeah. they reformed very briefly to do the sound of the life of the mind. And when we <laughs> talked about that album uh, as like our Christmas present to ourselves, letting us, <laughs> when we did that a couple of years ago, uh, we do kind of believe that sound of the life of the mind is what Reinhold Messner was supposed to be. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of parallels, uh, but... Uh, Reinhold Messner was pretty, I mean, I don't want to say famously, uh, but like it's pretty well known to have not been uh, living up to the expectations that it had for itself. Oh, absolutely not. Uh, especially following up with uh, Whatever and Ever Amen that had Brick and... Mm-hmm. Kate is on that one? 
Which one? Kate is on that one. Sorry, you you cut out. What was on that one? Uh, Kate, I believe, was yes, on that one. Yes, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, like, whatever, never, amen is just this smash hit. Like, it's got like the the sensitive single. It's got the uh, uh, what two hundred faces, uh, angry dwarf. Yeah, like um, a like, battle like of that who album, could care less. Oh my mm-hmm. god, yeah. It like solidified them as like this punk rock, piano, jazz funk weird Mm -hmm. trio and then after that they were like you know what let's make an album that's really weird and has like a completely inaccessible title that no one understands well a concept album about being mad of the way you grew up yeah pretty much that's yeah um so it turns out reinhold messner is a real person i see i knew this but i didn't know uh that I, i found out in researching this album is that they didn't know he was a real person <laughs> when they used the name. Yeah. So they found that out afterward. <laughs> yeah, they, they mention him in the liner notes and thank him for being a good sport about it. He's like the first person to scale Mount Everest without like an oxygen yeah, thing or that something was like thing. that. Mm-hmm. Which is and like, you know, did either of you guys oh, watch that movie Free Solo? Yeah. <laughs> I have not seen that. Is yeah, that the, just the Alex Hong after. Yeah, after seeing that movie, hearing about stuff like that just makes me angry because, like, that entire movie, I'm just watching this guy and being like, "Like, why? Why are you doing this? You're you're making everyone around you miserable for doing something that absolutely no one needs done." <laughs> yeah, well, and the thing is, that's actually a really good analogy for the two of them because climbing Everest without oxygen is just dumb. Like, it's yeah, it you hit the death zone like almost a day before you actually get to the top. And so you're like just trying to not die the rest of the time. <laughs> it's like, yeah, Honold free soloing El Cap. It's like, yeah. what? but just like you don't, no one needs to do that. It's the Nobody ultimate wants contrarian this. Needs move. This. Yeah, no one was yeah. like, you know what you should do, Alex, is climb El Cap with nothing <laughs> for fun. Yes. Humanity will not be complete until we get a guy <laughs> to the top of Mount Everest without an oxygen tank. Yeah. <laughs> I, um... Upon uh, re-listening to some of these songs, uh, I actually, my closest, uh, my strongest feelings about the unauthorized biography of Reinhold Messner is uh, several of these songs were used by Ben Folds on his live album. That was, I believe, Mm -hmm. his next release after this was Ben Folds Live, Mm -hmm. where the band had already broken up, but he was playing a lot of these, uh, just him and the piano. So really cut down orchestration from what's on mm-hmm. this album. And that's how I know a lot of these tracks. And it was really interesting going back and listening to them. With oh, so the you heard the live album first. Yeah. Uh, okay. Ben Folds Live was the first album I got into. It gotcha. Was. Well, uh, Army well, I, I, is... I imagine maybe that'll be a bit of a theme because we will be talking a little bit about live albums later. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, Army, uh, the song Army on this album is, I guess, the only hit. I think Don't Change Your Plans was supposed to be a single, but I, I don't know. How it was, I mean, yeah, it was released as a single, but I don't think it has. Yeah. It didn't get the traction. And Army, honestly, you know, as a follow up, uh, as the single off of the follow up album that had Brick, which is, you know, definitely his most famous song, the band's biggest hit, it's just very sort of lackluster showing in terms of what the hit song is. Oh, I think, some... I think Army bangs. I think, I mean, personally, oh, I think yeah. Ar- Army is, I, I would enjoy more than hearing Brick anytime. I mean, Br- <laughs> Brick, I feel like, has not aged super well. That seems like a very, very that... like, late 90s, like, sensitive guy single that you could really not pull off now, and even today sounds like a little, like, 
Uh, <laughs> it's, it's Ben Folds posting cringe. It's, it's a, his uh, it's his version of uh, Freshman by the mm-hmm. Verb. Yeah. Yes. Well, and the thing is, I, I suppose, yeah, I was thinking about it in terms of like uh, release velocity and like people knowing about these songs when they came out. Yeah. Nowadays, uh, Brick is fine, but it does feel very like it's it feels very nice guy, even though it's <laughs> not like necessarily doing that in the song. It just feels like the sequel to Brick would be like. Okay, no, listen here, bitch. Like, oh <laughs> like, it feels like that's the next live journal entry. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. Uh, uh, I did all this work for your abortion, and now I get nothing in return. Oh, my God. Just the yeah. t-shirt is just like, I wrote that song about abortion, and all I got was this lousy t-shirt. <laughs> and a bunch of money. And a bunch of money. And a bunch and of money. Although okay. I'm sure he didn't get many, uh, many like uh, licensing deals out of that. I don't think like you know what Tony Hawk Pro Skater Two needed like one of those. Oh my god! Oh, yeah, man. Right. I have to. I have to look something up real quick. Uh, so Nick, um, yes, does this complete us having talked about all of the Benfold's five albums? I can't remember. Is this? Did we the... talk about whatever and ever? Amen. Yes. I don't remember. That was like a year and, and a half. I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember these things. Uh, I think that does complete the Benfold's five. Uh, trilogy quadrilogy yeah do you want to should we should we should we play something? we should probably play a clip we talked about army i just want to say army was like the lead single the song that you probably know the most out of any of the songs on this album uh army is also super fun live i've seen ben folds a few times and army if it's just him and piano I, no even if he's got a full band he will section out uh members of the audience and have one side be like trombones and then the other side be mm-hmm. like saxophones and there's like these two different parts the ba da ba ba da da ba ba da da ba ba and he has like the audience yeah exactly but like that is super fun because he'll uh when i saw him play in ann arbor uh he was not touring he was just doing a one-off show just him and a piano and it was really kind of fun uh the way that he got the audience involved with both that song and uh you're thinking of the one from rock in the suburbs yeah not the same yeah, he does that with not the same also, and that's that's really fun. I also saw him play with the Detroit Symphony Orchestra, and there was significantly less audience interaction uh, <laughs> when, when you have a bunch of union musicians on stage. Um, it, it didn't seem like that was how he wanted to use their time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, well, here is a clip from Army by Ben Folds 5 on the album The, Auth- uh, yeah. the Unauthorized Biography of Reinhold Messner. Grew a mustache and a mullet Got a job at Chick-fil-A Citing artistic differences The band broke up in May And in June reformed without me And they got a different name I nuked another grandma's apple pie And hung my head in shame, no Been thinking a lot today all right, so what I've been looking up uh, are video games released at the end of 1997 and the beginning of 1998. <laughs> that could possibly have licensed Brick. Yes, and I'm trying to figure out which of these which of these games is it would 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 feature Brick. <laughs> and so far, I'm thinking like 
Starcraft. <laughs> <laughs> Starcraft. You know what would actually with... be really funny? Like in in like a few years later than this, when the Grand Theft Auto games started having like full radios, mm-hmm. it would actually be really great to put brick on like a GTA 4 <laughs> radio because the uh, like rolling through GTA uh, like mm-hmm. doing drive-bys in that game to uh, brick on the soundtrack would be very funny. Oh yeah. man, the juxtaposition of those two things. That ooh. Yeah, other than that, I don't know. Personally, I think that would have been pretty cool for them to feature it in Yoshi's story, but <laughs> <laughs> I get I get it might not be thematically accurate. Right. <laughs> I can kind of understand why this album was a little bit of a flop. When your lead single like starts out with a curse word, like you're probably not <laughs> going to get a lot of radio airplay unless yeah. it's like heavily edited. And yeah, I mean, this is '99, so you didn't really have like alternate distribution options, right? When they were when they got back together and did "Sound of the Life of the Mind," that was just like an independent digital release that they did. Uh, at first, you could just download it from their website for like five bucks. Or 15, but it was still really, like, reasonably priced. Well, um, actually, uh, Chris, I was listening to the uh, episode uh, about Radiohead uh, on and introducing, and uh, I think I'm at the part where you guys talk about, like, the way that music is released now, and now it's just, like, what you guys had said was that you just release it online and then let, let everyone else pick up what the single is. So it's, yeah. like... Bigger, like, more legacy bands definitely still push singles and stuff, but it does seem like a lot of people, especially the really new artists who just, like, are constantly releasing music in, like, the mixtape format and just, like, you know, tons mm-hmm. of new stuff going on Spotify all the time. It's, it's like, you, you, you get the privilege of following your audience a little bit. Yeah, um, I think what I found really... Uh, so I mentioned, like, hearing these songs with their full orchestrations was a little different for me because I... I Learned some of these from the live, which was just a piano uh, and and Ben, and I found it interesting how after listening to like this the whole portfolio essentially of Ben Folds, uh, I spent a couple of years super into into him and listening to these different albums. It feels like the songwriting is notably immature on this album, uh, just specifically with how like complex some of the orchestrations are and how like some of the really nice like jazz influences still there Mm -hmm. in the music that he goes on to kind of drop a little bit uh for his first solo album uh there's some very complex cool tonal stuff going on but i just don't know if the if the lyricism was really there on this one especially Mm -hmm. compared to some of the more beautiful things and like whatever and ever i'm in like smoke uh and some of those other Earlier yeah, releases. I was thinking about that because you know, Army is like almost a joke song, uh, and it and I think <laughs> it's to its credit there there are a lot of uh, really funny moments in lines uh, in that song. Mm-hmm. Like I was just re- thinking about um, you know, got a job at Chick Fil A. Uh, the band broke up in June and reformed without me in May. I think that is yeah. like basically how one of those like it's it's very funny. It's 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 snotty. It's a little sad sack. I mean, this mm-hmm. whole album is a little sad sack. Uh, but you know, it's I, it's something that I appreciate. I mean, humor in music, uh, I think goes mm-hmm. it goes a long way. But uh, it it does verge on uh, you know. Being too goofy to be taken seriously, but you know, yeah, I, it's really fun to listen to. I mean, when he hollers <laughs> in the middle, "God, please spare me more rejection!" <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, it's mm-hmm. great. It's it, I, I love I love yelling along with it. Um, but mm-hmm. it, it it kind of like 
makes you take the whole project less seriously. And and listening to it straight through, I mean, it's very designed to be like of a piece, and the songs like you know uh, uh, flow into each other fairly well uh, on the um, on the album. But yeah, the mm-hmm. the whole uh, vibe of it of of being this like again like sad sack guy being like oh. Uh, my 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 child I was my childhood was like this classless redneck thing and now nobody will take me seriously no matter how good I am. Uh, <laughs> it, it's a little whiny well, yeah. and, and it kind of undercuts <laughs> being taken seriously. Well, yeah, and it's it's so interesting how some of those things play together in here because it's like you're opening with with narcolepsy on this album, which is uh, more in like more instrumental, more introspective. Uh, I was just looking at, so the last track on Whatever and Ever Amen was Evaporated, which had, like, pretty similar feeling. And you're like, okay, maybe they're really going to get, like, they're going to lean into being deep on this one. But then it's like, well, or not. (laughs) (laughs) Army's fun. They're like, you know what? We need bombastic, uh, like, horns and, like, a string section and this, like, cinematic thing. Like, complete left turn. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like if every track on this was an army, it would be great. Or if every track on it was like, uh, I don't know, mess or your most valuable possession, yeah. that would be like a, a different thing. Yeah. But I guess it tries to bounce back and forth between these two moods a little bit. One thing yeah, I will yeah. say, uh, uh, just as an aside and thinking about like narcolepsy and army, uh, love love the Benfolds 5 bass tone, that, that fuzzed out bass. Oh my God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's... Yeah. That that is actually really that was really nice. Um, going back to listen to this for the first time in a really long time, uh, the intro to narcolepsy being piano and really subdued, and then the band just comes in with yeah, crashing in. Yeah, and it's like, oh, I know that bass. I know that bass. Anyway. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that uh, you touched on if it was all songs like Army, and I really feel like that's what he did with Rock in the Suburbs. Yeah. The next. His next album, uh, you know, breaking off from everybody else, it's it's really way more of the like I'm doing a ditty. Some of these are funny, some of them aren't, but they're all very like it's way pop heavier yeah. than the jazz inspirations of the earlier songs. And yeah, it's like, I, and I guess just personally, that's probably my favorite mood of Ben mm-hmm. Folds. Like probably my favorite Ben Folds song is uh, Jackson Cannery, which has, is is very much in the same, oh, yeah. uh, uh, mm-hmm. you know, zone as Army. Uh, but you know, it's yeah. basically got he's got like two two sides, and one is the big bombastic like bar room sing along, and the other is the introspective thing, and it, it it's a very narrow uh, needle to thread. And on his better albums, it works, and on his less good albums, it, it's not quite there. Yeah, yeah. What do you want to What do you want to <laughs> listen to, Nick? I don't uh, know. We it's it's funny that you mentioned mess and your most valuable possession because those are. You're, again, I keep coming back to how this album was a flop. He included a song with a voicemail from his dad that he left at like six o'clock in the morning, and it has this like smooth jazz undertone to mm-hmm. it, and it's like <laughs> it's very, very like, goofy, but it, I guess kind of sweet. Yeah, no, because apparently, like his dad doesn't even remember making that call, and <laughs> but uh, uh, I I always do love that part though. There's like a pause, and he's just like he's like, I just hope you don't forget your most valuable possession. Your mind. I don't know. I I do. I like that part a lot. It always yeah. gets me. Um, let's talk about mess because that might be my favorite. 
Mess and Magic, the transition of those two songs into each yeah. other is actually like probably my favorite sequence on the album. Uh, just because Mess is... Again, Mess has like these cowboy strings underneath it, and there's like... It's got... I don't know if it's a cowbell or what it is, but it's got this like country western almost undercut to it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's got yeah. almost like a, a shuffle beat. Yeah. All right, let's play a clip of Mess, and then we can... I don't know, wrap up final thoughts and then yeah. move on to something new. Yeah, some ooh, something new. Oh, ah, yeah. Ooh. All right, here's a little bit of mess from Ben Folds 5 on the album The Unauthorized Biography of Reinhold Messner. All the untested virtue, things I said I'd never do, least of all to you. I know he's kind and true, I know that he is good to you. Yeah, again, the, a very in the like, '90s that actually might, but like someone might have been like, "Oh, you can't listen to this now, Billy." Is <laughs> <laughs> like a parental warning label on it for that content? Again, like Benfold's, you know, I, I respect what he does, but it is very like tenth grade mentality of be of being like, "Whoa, what?" Well, sometimes people mm-hmm. get abortions, and you can sing <laughs> about them. Or, man, God doesn't exist. I, can you man, sing about that? Man, my fourth wife is divorcing me again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dad's mad at me for thinking about joining the army. They they want me to go to school. Yeah, and you know, honestly, looking back at army, and he's like, "It's supposed to be a tongue in cheek joke that three semesters of school was only fifteen grand because mm-hmm. of how much money that is." And I'm yeah. like, "It's only gotten more expensive in the last <laughs> twenty years." Like, yeah, seriously. Yeah, that that, that probably was the uh, the line that that upon re-listen after this long was like felt most relevant mm-hmm. well he he went to it's such a funny complaint because i know he's like kind of playing a character in that song that's loosely based on himself but not like an exact parallel but the guy went to fucking miami of ohio which is like a we we call it j crew u <laughs> around these i didn't parts. know that that's in my uh that's in my neck of the woods or where i grew up yeah, I you know I we we're in Kalamazoo here, but I'm from the east side of the state. Uh, but here in Kalamazoo, a lot of people go to Western Michigan University from the Chicago area, sure. and they all have very strong feelings about Miami of Ohio for some reason. And I learned <laughs> all of this. Well, that that seems I, very uh, that seems very uh, <laughs> I you know Mad Men. I pity you. I don't think about you at all. Like, yeah, who, who cares about Miami of Ohio? I mean, other than people who go there, I'm sure it's fine. Yeah, uh, yeah. If you went there, I'm sure it's fine. And also, there's the pond where Ben threw his drums. That's and right. And quit school. Oh, and you and and every year they get a freshman to to go down to the bottom of that pond, and <laughs> bring up a <laughs> piece of the, the Ben Folds <laughs> drum kit. 
<laughs> you know, if one of his drumsticks is still down there, that's probably worth quite a bit of money. <laughs> uh, <coughs> all right. Um, should we move on forward? Nick, final thoughts? Uh, yeah. I, again, I, I kind of grew up listening to this album and resonated a lot with it when I was, I guess, at its target demographic, which is <laughs> juniors in high school. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I feel like it's fitting that we ended on mess because I, I guess in a way this album is a bit of a mess. Like it's all yeah. over the place. And there's some really nice moments. Oh yeah. And there's some really, really inspired parts of it also, but it just never really found its exact place i guess yeah and i think i think you can kind of see where ben was going uh like follow like following this up with like the live album then rocking the suburbs because there's like i feel like this album is more synth heavy like Mm -hmm. there's a lot of uh uh, narcolepsy and Mm -hmm. your redneck pass there's a lot of weird synthesizer work going on and i feel like that played a big part in rocking the suburbs so yeah yeah, like it does kind of speak to his whole career trajectory because it's like this fun, goofy, but also fairly serious songwriter guy who does these three albums. And I guess the third album mm-hmm. is the one where he kind of is at being asked to be taken like the most serious as a conceptual artist, and it doesn't quite work. So then that Rock in the Suburbs is like, all right, fine, I'll just do the big, goofy uh, pop pop songs. Uh, and yeah, <laughs> I'll I don't, have I don't Weird know. Al on my song only to do harmony vocals. <laughs> I mean, that's cool. Uh, just getting <laughs> Weird Al in for the musicianship. Uh, I like I like that, but um, <laughs> yeah. But then you know it, it's like trying to figure out what his place is, is in pop music as it kind of rolls by him. Um, I don't know. It's 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 kind of a bittersweet album in that way. Yeah. Uh, so Nick, yes. uh, object objective Jesus uh, <laughs> subjective number score rating for this album. I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a Ben Folds three and a half out of a Ben Folds five. I don't know if I've used that joke before. I don't want to hear about it because I might have absolutely done that before. I, yeah. I love that. You, you know, it's still you gotta plays. rate an album against the artist, not against like any objective uh, metric. <laughs> yeah, we we sometimes get a little more creative, and sometimes there's still numbers involved. But I think <laughs> we had a guest on once who who rated an album what like a hope out of a dream or he's something a, like he's that like, he's like i rate it happy out of nice or something like that <laughs> uh i like, i oh, rate I, I rate this album yellow <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah i've got that thing where i can see music as colors and uh, i rated this one purple and you don't know what that means i took okay. a buzzfeed quiz but buzzfeed quiz i'm sorry i took a BuzzFeed quiz that told me I have synesthesia. (laughs) (laughs) It's going in my Twitter bio. All right. Moving forward. Yes. I brought in an album for new, and it was one that I was pretty excited about. Uh, Not for any real particular reason, but this is the first solo album by... Brittany Howard. I... All of my notes are on my phone, and I'm not <laughs> holding my phone. It's Britney Howard's first solo album. You probably, if I had to guess, know Britney's voice from uh, the Alabama Shakes, who have had a few pretty decent songs, decent, decently large songs. Um, heard them on the radio a little bit at one point in time. So uh, she really cut her teeth 
doing that in terms of getting into any sort of pop culture vernacular. And then this album, uh, I had literally no idea what to expect at all. I... I'm are, is the mailman attacking us? Nick? That, that could be what it is. The mailman's trying to get in. <laughs> so I went in like excited to hear. You know, when people go solo, I am always interested in hearing that because sometimes it happens very successfully and sometimes it happens very poorly. But I I always feel like this sort of comes from a place of this artist wants to tell their story specifically they want to do their own thing specifically and i really didn't know what i was getting into and then uh one of the few negative things i really have to say about listening to this album for me was i still don't really know what what the this driving force was uh but it was it was very interesting it was a lot i guess i i haven't really listened to a lot of alabama shakes so i was curious going into this like what it would even be and like also i just didn't have that her other work perspective in mind Mm -hmm. so yeah she uh before uh performing with alabama shakes was in a band called thunder bitch cool which i had never heard of but i find it very interesting and then she did do uh backing vocals or guest vocals on a john legend track uh a couple years ago as well so she's been around um, and the thing is, the first thing I ever heard about Alabama Shakes was that um, the singer has a hell of a voice. And that was like one of the things that people were selling this band on is listen to this. Yeah, that's um, like one of their things. Yeah. It's like, what if uh, Janis Joplin was doing like modern Southern rock? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And to that point, uh, I, I was not disappointed with her vocal performance on this album. Uh, and. I'm trying to figure out what we should listen to first, but I, uh, full disclosure audience, I accidentally listened to this album on shuffle every time <laughs> that I listened to it. So I got really confused about track names because I wasn't watching them go in a random order. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, I guess we'll go ahead. I, I really enjoyed the, uh, the first track on this history repeats. That'd be a good one to start off with. Yeah. We are fans of starting with the first song on the album. It's that's like as much as I... a good place to begin. That's where the artist would like you to start. Yeah. And and where I was like, well, maybe we shouldn't sometimes because it sounds like we just listened to like the first three songs <laughs> on the album. But I think that's a good point. Um, and it, that is an interesting one that I did want to comment on. So let's grab a clip uh, from History Repeats off of Jamie. She feels I haven't even said the name of the album yet. Jamie by Brittany Howard.
Yeah, I would call this song a uh, a funky good time. <laughs> I mean, at certain places, this song almost sounds like an Earth, Wind, and Fire track, like uh, Shoot a Shining Star or something. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, that's what I was kind of taken aback with from the lead-offs uh, on this album were how much funk and soul influence were present. Like, some of this does just sound like it's a funk band. Yeah. Uh, purely with that intention, which I was not really expecting from a more uh, rock understanding of who this person was going in before. Yeah, and I, when I listened to this album, I, I actually didn't realize that she was the Alabama Shakes woman. Uh, I, I just thought that she was like a new solo solo artist. I hadn't put that together mm-hmm. until after I listened to it. So from oh, that perspective, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah it, it does. it's just like a... Um, a good, but I would say like fairly, you know, down the center, like funk, new funk soul album. I mean, there are mm-hmm. a lot of little moments in here that I was like, oh, that's cool and fun. But, you know, um, nothing like as I listened through this was anything like, oh, damn. And especially mm-hmm. it's interesting. Yeah. And as, as we were just saying, like she is known for, you know, the voice in like, yeah. a, you know, capital T, capital V. And a lot of her vocal performances here are, are I would say, fairly restrained. Yeah, there's a lot of subdued vocals happening, and there's a lot of uh, production choices that are like intentionally minimizing vocal impact in a way that I, I was like, you know, bold choice, uh, but okay. Uh, and then there's some tracks where she really lets it loose and has like seems to be having fun with it and, and doing the, you know, here's what I sound like thing, but. I was like reading some reviews, uh, and there was one of the few negative reviews that I saw. Basically, brought that uh, that point up that her voice is kind of lost in the mix a little mm-hmm. bit, and it's it, this album is pretty personal because it's about her sister who died of a like a rare form of like eye cancer. Mm-hmm. Oh Jesus! She, yeah, she herself has it too like in a in a much more smaller oh, way wow. like i think she's partially blind in one of her eyes but <laughs> her sister's name is jamie and that's what ah. this album seems to be about yeah i there were a couple times uh when i was listening to this where it felt it tries it feels like it tries to flow really really well between um being intentionally profound, being intentionally seriously, and like trying to do some sort of allegorical work or like, uh, you know, big social commentary stuff. And it seems to flow from that to being more of like, also, this is a funk album. And, (laughs) and, And a couple of the rough points for me are there's times when it just feels like what's really cool about watching some of the masters of funk uh, watch George Clinton do anything. It's it is cool. It's laid back, uh, and mm-hmm. and for me, and this is a completely personal subjective thing. For me, uh, it there were a few moments where I was like, I'm losing the funk on this mm-hmm. because we're getting really serious with it. But it also, I'm kind of not. I feel like your point's not getting driven home in the way that you might be going for. Yeah. Maybe a little similar to what we were talking about with Ben Folds of being like trying to do two things at once and and because of that, like not really hitting either of them as hard as you mm-hmm. could. Yeah. And like listening to that first song on the album, like 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 we were talking about, like the first song usually is what the artist wants you to hear the first, you know, you yeah. put the record on, that's what you hear. And I feel like it does really set it up that way to be this like 
you know, drums slightly behind the beat, like kind of intricate, funky guitar riff and like keyboards and all of this. But then you, you sneak in Goathead as the ninth track and it's like, oh, well, this is a very poignant and serious, like either telling of a personal story or telling someone else's personal story. But like, you know, doing this you know, the big uh, uh, statement piece and it's like, that's also great. These two seem kind of weird side by side, especially if you happen to be listening to it on shuffle and they're literally back to back. And it's just like, you know, I, I, I just find it. I, I and I gotta say, like, I like all of these parts of it, but I did find some of the choices felt like almost they're being marred by being safe. It was like mm. you made a safe choice that was like could have used a little more edge, could have used a little more raw tinge to it. Uh, yeah, I I would say, uh, <laughs> I mean I I'm th- I'm saying this phrase is a compliment, but I I, I uh, maybe will seem a little backhanded. Uh, I could imagine having a good time, like a a very good time, half listening to this at like four p.m. on a Sunday at a music festival. Yeah, that's pretty much how I listen to this record as well. <laughs> this is like I feel like this is gonna be playing. Uh, any coffee shop in in yeah. my town at least i'm gonna walk in and then be like oh okay yeah yeah this is this is pretty cool like this is all right yeah if it had been released a little earlier in the summer like any bar with like an outdoor patio mm-hmm. oh yeah that'd be perfect for it yeah we're spinning vinyl on the patio it's <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> uh, let's listen to one more clip off of this album and I, th- I think I figured it out, what I was looking for. Uh, the seventh track, 13th Century Metal. Yeah, I was going to uh, bring it, this one up. Let's, let's give that a quick listen and then talk a little more and uh, move on to some talking heads, right? Yes. Hell yeah. All awesome. right. All right, here's a little bit of 13th Century Metal from uh, Jamie by Brittany Howard. Um, I, I like this track a lot. I like the, like, you know, uh, you know, preachery sermon thing going on over it. I like how chaotic the track gets. Uh, I like it, that it kind of sometimes sounds like a clap your hand, say yeah song, but with this, <laughs> like, got at least in the instrumentation, but with this, like, you know, gospel, like chaotic gospel soul infusion to it. Um, this, this one was the one that stood out the most to me as well. 
And again, speaking of like the live potential of this, I could imagine mm-hmm. seeing this live and it just being like a like a extremely like chaotic like building vibe heavy uh, uh, you know live experience that you know yeah goes on. this track is like four forty seven that goes on for like seven or eight minutes or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I can just see like flashing lights and like this would be a great like opener. I feel like and, for, and like, I, your yeah. concert. I guess that's something that I want to know. Uh, and I hadn't really thought about this, but it's like, if I can go see this album performed live and it sounds like it does, I would be crazy impressed. Yeah. And, may- and maybe that explains, so- and because you look at the uh, people she's got as her band on this album. Yeah, the personnel is fantastic. It's like, I, I don't know how many Emmys they have between the Emmys, God. <laughs> Emmys, Grammys. So, Grammys They're all EGOTs. Uh, <laughs> I'm all over the place, dude. I don't know how many Grammys they have between all of them, but it's like, if 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 this sound and structure was built out of actually being able to play these songs and have them sound like that and not be a lot of back-end production stuff, I totally understand some of the choices a little more. It's like when we, uh, Nick and I saw Corey Henry a long time ago now, and he's on a vocoder that entire show. (laughs) And if I was listening to that on an album, I would have been kind of intrigued, but confused by that choice. It's like, all right, we get it. But doing it (laughs) live, it's like, yeah, (laughs) but doing it live, it's like, oh, I guess this is just the way that he does it. And it sort of, uh, made the experience make more sense when if it was an album choice I'd be like but you could also not sometimes <laughs> and honestly somebody like you know do we talk about in- industry stuff like somebody like Brittany Howard uh I imagine that you know sh- and the types of bands she's been in bands like Alabama Shakes which you know are like a band that tours a lot and has like a fa- lots of festival experiences I can very much imagine her putting out an album mm-hmm. being like here are the songs but I'm where I'm really going to like designing this material for is like playing it live a lot mm-hmm. you know well and there's uh i was reading a little bit about the the tour that she did to support this and like very specifically um tried to not to or i can't i you know i can't find anything definitive that they didn't play any alabama shakes songs mm. at her concerts supporting this release but it sounds like at least there was very very few if any so she was trying to to separate from that persona almost it seems and do this project as its own thing and really like i was gonna say really sell out in like the sports term way of really going for it but then in music that probably not sell out in fact actually i would say the opposite of sell out and just really try and own what this new sound and new project is yeah because that's like that's a huge risk to just go out there and like expand have people expect you know Alabama Shake songs and then just be like no I'm not doing mm-hmm. that I mean I went to see uh, Corey Wong from Wolfpack uh, last about a year and a half ago and he did not play a single Wolfpack song and like I was slightly bummed but he played his own original stuff and is very uh, 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 very set on doing that kind of and the- I think it's worked out for him kind of the exact opposite of uh, Raekwon from Wu-Tang <laughs> <laughs> who when I saw him uh, just like they would just be playing songs that he had verses on and then he'd like do the verse and then that was just like it 
it was like mostly Wu-Tang songs, but then like just his verses. It was a really sort of strange experience. Did they that, just like string rocks. all the songs together? Uh, you know, it was such a high energy thing. And I was also technically working while I was at the show. So I didn't get to pay <laughs> the most amount of attention. But it was like, it was like everything kind of flowed together it, or a song would end and something would start and you'd be like, Oh, I recognize this one. And then it'd be like, and then he just be like waits for his verse. And then he just does his verse. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was very strange, but well, yeah, uh, are, I mean, are you guys, uh, are you guys, uh, frequent users of setlist.fm? Uh, only for like specific artists that I've seen or like follow. I'm like, I'm constantly on this site. Just like when I'm thinking, like remember a band that I haven't thought of for a while. And like, uh, you know, looking up, like, I wonder what their live sets are like right now. So I'm looking at Brittany <laughs> Howard uh, now. And yeah, it's it's this entire album. And then she does a Prince cover, uh, a Sam and Dave cover. And she covers Revolution by the Beatles, which, I mean, I guess I'd be huh. interested in seeing. But I feel like as soon as they <laughs> well, started that, I would kind of be like rolling my eyes a little bit. If you put that in the context of like the, I'll bring back the Janis Joplin comparison again for that like Southern rock intense vocals. Like, yeah, okay, that's kind of on the nose. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> Revolution is a little on the nose, but I bet it would be fun. Yeah. What do you and, guys and think? Cover, and doing Grande a Prince place and life? doing a Prince cover is uh you know like that. What Prince cover? Uh, uh, it is the the breakdown. Oh, okay. So that's kind of a deeper cut too. That's that's yeah. cool. That's fun. I feel like every the year that Prince died, everyone was doing like Purple Rain, and like that's it. Uh, I was a. Uh, I was at Coachella that year Prince died. Uh, the The first time I went there, I went exclusively to see the reformed LCD sound system. L- listeners of uh, And Introducing will know that that is my like ride or die band. Uh, mm-hmm. And you know, all my LA friends go out there every year. So, and L- LCD was getting back together. So I was like, fine, I fucking go to Coachella. Uh, and he, Prince died like three days before the show uh, we saw. Oh God! Uh, so LCD did a whip ass cover of Controversy. Uh, oh my uh, god that sounds amazing that rocked and unfortunately i've never been able to find a high quality recording of them doing that live but uh yeah that was that was killer yeah we uh that made me think we were talking about the Corey henry show he did like a nine minute cover of party like it's 1999 and that was that was that later that same year right no yeah. that was before he died was that before he died it was 2015 damn i remember exactly where i was when prince died <laughs> where were you I w- <laughs> he was lying on the floor next uh, to his Prince poster. That was after. That was after. Oh, I'm uh, sorry. That was after. <laughs> uh, no, I was shopping with my ex, and we were getting fabric for their uh, company that they were trying to start. You were mm-hmm. measuring out several bolts of purple velvet. <laughs> and I, I think, honestly, I think I just checked Twitter, and it was just like, oh, what? Because it had been like, three or four days after record store day and like prince was tweeting about it mm-hmm. like he just tweeted electric fetus in all caps and, like, that's, <laughs> that's uh jg thurwell's new project <laughs> it's like a record store in minneapolis and i remember seeing that being like thank you prince yeah that but, one was really yeah. sudden and bowie bowie passed like two weeks before that if bad. i remember correctly not not a good for- month for music it's really bad no. for like skinny little men who made a lot of music. <laughs> I want to talk about a uh, uh, musical artist dying. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, 
Um, but I can't remember his name. Oh, all right. Give give me some details. What do you got? Uh, all of guess? all of the middle aged women at the pub. I, I was bartending uh, a, a shift when this happened, and all the middle aged women got really sad. And my mom texted me about it, and I didn't realize people liked him that much. Oh, that's God really. I'm not gonna. I, I'm not gonna be able to pin this. <laughs> yeah. uh, let's see. Let's see. I feel like it was Tom Petty. Did Tom oh Petty yes, die yes. Tom Petty died recently. Yes, yeah. that's that's so, a, a that's a hard blow for moms and dads. I <laughs> did not like. I was like, when the people like Tom Petty died, it's it's. I'm not trying to be heartless, but it was like when any celebrity that I don't feel any way about dies, and I'm like, oh okay. Um, <laughs> like ah, I can't, like. I'm sorry for your loss. I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah mortality but, is transient. Uh, death comes for us all. Um, mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> there were like. I, I can think of four or five days in the the four years of my life I spent bartending that had like a specific grim air to them, and <laughs> oh my God. one of them was like when Tom Petty died because like I my coworker pulled me aside to tell me and I was like o- okay and then I <laughs> I like watched middle aged people sitting at the bar like check their phones and like start crying and just like Holy holding shit. their heads. I mean, Tom Petty, uh, you know, he's an American legend. He He's also just, like, a good guy of yeah. rock music. He, yeah. and, like, I wasn't happy about it songs. or anything, but it was just, like, I was, like, ah. Literally, the other day that felt like that was the day after the election. Oh, oh yes. Like, oh, like I'm that sure w- bartending the day after the election was uh, uh, not It vibe. was... It was very not good vibes, but it was like those two and then a couple other days like uh, when Bowie died also kind of felt that way. I understood that one a little more, though. I felt like I, I, I don't really know much of what Tom Petty's cultural influence was beyond as a musician, but I know that like Bowie meant a lot to a lot of people. Yeah. And it was like, uh, all right, so I played American and Girl on repeat. But yeah, it's yeah. like everybody mm, who has ever deeper. seen an American baseball game in an American baseball field, that is the vibe of Tom Petty music. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> and and more likely than not, you you heard a Tom Petty song at any given baseball game you've been to. Yeah. Yes. All right, let's wrap it up on Brittany Howard <laughs> here. Um, overall, I like this album. I think it is interesting. Uh, it It's not... It's it's not enough of anything for me to really believe that it has a ton of replayability, uh, but that's just me, and I think a lot of other people feel differently. I saw this was a pretty well-reviewed album critically, so overall, I'd say it's pretty good. Uh, what I'll say is like I'm actually really impressed with uh, the fact that it's the the personnel is so small. And the production engineering. Yeah, there's like all five the, people with yeah, credits on this album. Like total. she produced it, she recorded it. Like she has a vision, and it's really, I guess, refreshing to see someone who's able to pull it off without like seven names behind every single song. Yeah, and like very specifically, not it doesn't it seems like specifically not leveraging past success mm-hmm. beyond pretty much a studio allowing her to do this just like yeah it was a risk produce your entire own album get in a couple really good people who have done a lot of studio stuff in the past and just like go yeah yeah so andrew uh, what is your arbitrary rating for this album my arbitrary rating for this album 
Yeah, did you have something to say? We, we might have walked over you there. Uh, no, I was just going to agree with all that. It's it's uh, kind of an, an impressive an impressive outing for a uh, solo uh, mm-hmm. artist that I'm sure you know that she will get a lot of mileage of for like you know her the project of being Brittany Howard. Uh, but yeah, that's something <laughs> yeah. that I would really uh, come back to uh, like directly. Though again, I would not mind like. <laughs> If I am at a music festival and Brittany Howard's there, I'd be like, oh, yeah, let's walk by and like listen to 20 minutes of this. <laughs> yeah. like, <laughs> Oh, that sounds cool. What's yeah. over there? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I give this album uh, 13th century metal out of the 17th century. <laughs> <laughs> I see a theme forming. Yeah. Hold on. <laughs> hold on. <laughs> All right, uh, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with Something Borrowed. So stick with us. Radio Land. <laughs> Radio. Radio Land. Yeah. <laughs> All you people out there. Out there in the, the potiverse. <laughs> Don't touch your phone. <laughs> Don't fucking do it. <laughs> Thank you for listening to episode 38 of Something Old, Something New, Something Borrowed, Something Brewed. If you like what you hear, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter at SOSNSBSB Podcast. You can find us on iTunes under the same name. Uh, Leave us a rating, leave us a review, do all of those things. Uh, I'd like to thank Chris Wade for coming on the show and just being a fantastic guest and conversationalist all around. Go listen to Chapo. Go listen to And Introducing. All of the links will be in the episode description. So give them a like. Give them a follow. Just, just follow everyone that I tell you to follow, please. Uh, that's all. I'm going to let you get back to the episode. Bye. I'm Mike Logan. I'm Garrett Elzinga. And, and this, this better, better be, be good. good. It's a weekly podcast where two comedians review a movie before seeing it and review it again after seeing it. We'll also talk about the hottest news in movies, like how badly is MoviePass doing? Oh, it's done? Perfect. You can find us on all your podcasting hosting sites, iTunes, Stitcher, CastBox, wherever. Is you that guys. a thing? Yeah, I use CastBox. Actually. Oh, that's great. Yeah. While we're on there. All right. Check so us out on all these things. This better be good. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr, Grinder, Zanga, Live Journal. Oh, that's a thing. I'm Mike Logan. I'm Garrett Elzinga. And, and that, that was good. We are back with the Something Borrowed section of the show. Uh, and if this is the first time you've ever listened, 38 episodes in, uh, this is where we take an album from our guest and. Uh, let them talk about it, and we'll also try to offer commentary mm-hmm. as best as we can. But usually we have this section for basically our, our, our cool friends and other people that we find to be on the podcast. This, that's a weird way to phrase that. I'm <laughs> sorry. Uh, basically, find a way for, to let people that we know gush about the thing that they love. So, Or people that we don't know gush about the thing that they love. We like to let people we know and strangers alike gush about the We like the to irresponsibly give <laughs> platforms... <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.
<laughs> Let's talk about my favorite podcast, the Joe Rogan Experience. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, I will do as best I can to introduce some dangerous ideology into this discussion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> look, look, there's two sides to every discussion. <laughs> Just like there's two discs to this album. That's a great, oh, yeah. Perfect. You know, let's, let's, let's get ourselves out of our own way. Um, do you want to take it away with what you picked and why? Yeah, of course. Uh, so the album that I suggested is called The Name of This Band is Talking Heads. Uh, it is a double uh, live LP uh, released in, I believe, uh, 1982. Yes, uh, released in 1982. Um, this precedes the live album that everybody knows the best, uh, from the mm-hmm. do- Talking Heads, uh, which is Stop Making Sense, uh, you know, the live album from the movie yeah. of the same name, which is generally mm-hmm. considered, uh, you know, one of the, the greatest achievements in rock band live album making. Uh, and, you know, a testament to uh, David Byrne's, uh, you know, dedication to the Talking Heads as, sorry, to Talking Heads as a, uh, not just a band, but as an artistic project in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I contend is uh, this album, the name of the band is Talking Heads, is a way better live album uh, than Stop Making Sense. Uh, and it makes the band kind of make sense in its classic run in a way that is kind of elided by Stop Making Sense and uh, gives you the full overview of really, really selling uh, why they would were a punk act from the beginning all the way to evolving into this like expansive uh, jamming, you know, world music influenced, uh, almost mm-hmm. like psychedelic uh, experience, uh, and it tracks you yeah. know that build over really like a, just a four year time. Uh, the, the basically the first disc compli- comprises recordings from uh, 1977 and 1979, and then the uh, second disc is from their retor- their touring off of. Um, uh, remain in light in 1980 and 1981 and just being able to track the band's growth over those four years uh, makes this a really impressive feat and all of the recordings of all the songs uh, on these on these albums I-, I consider like basically the definitive versions uh, of these songs and honestly interesting make songs uh, and like kind of what they were going for in the um, you know in their pro- more like production experiment experimental Eno albums like the run uh, mm-hmm. uh, more songs uh, fear music and remain in light um, makes it honestly make more sense to me as as how it works as just a band be, he, being able to hear these songs live and honestly I think the remain in light songs sound way better on this disc than they do on the re- actual recordings of remain in light and same kind yeah, of for I th- fear I mean, music I think, th- I think a thing that a band with like an original strong connection to punk. Uh, a thing that I find with a lot of bands like that is a, a potential lack of translation from uh, being live music first, recorded music second in importance. Yeah. Uh, when something is is sat down in a studio, there's so many places to go wrong from producer influence all the way to just unconscious decision making about the studio performance by the performers that can remove that spark. Right. Yeah, and and I, I think that, you know, 
most people yeah interact with these songs mostly through through the albums and it, it really like loses how powerful of a band they were and you know i mm-hmm. i'm a, a bass guy i the bass is you know not the only instrument i play but probably the 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 one that i feel more most attached to mm-hmm. and i i think it gives you a real sense of um like how good uh chris france and tina weymouth and also jerry harrison are as like mm-hmm. a really really tight backing band for the uh you know the the more loftier artistic project of of david byrne is trying to do through these songs um mm-hmm. and i i mean uh, this is one of the things that i have like complicated feelings about the talking heads for because uh you know i i love this band i think that they have tremendous songs uh but you know, and I don't want to uh, tell tales out of school too much, but I, I have heard some things about how, uh, you know, uh, Byrne has interacted with France and Weymouth that make him seem like a total asshole. And I think, like, <laughs> because I, I like, and I can get into what some of those things are. I mean, why not? Uh, this is a um, a good place to put this tangent. I believe I've said this on an in intro, but I might not have put this on mic yet. This is very much hearsay. I've heard from friend of a friend. Uh, type stuff, but um, in like the late 2000s, uh, Chris France, the drummer, uh, husband of Tina Weymouth, the bassist, mm-hmm. um, got an offer from uh, Bonnaroo uh, that was like, here's the deal. We'll give each of the four original members of Talking Heads $1 million each to reunite and headline Bonnaroo. And France Holy was like, shit. okay, what? Cool. Uh, let me see if I can make that happen. So he called up David Byrne, who he hadn't talked to in a little bit, and was like, hey, David, let's grab dinner. Let's catch up. We haven't spoken in a while. And David's like, oh, okay. Uh, so they go out, get dinner, uh, have a nice time uh, together. And at the very end of the di- dinner, uh, France is like, uh, listen, David, uh, this offer came across my desk. Uh, I want to put it in front of you. Obviously, no presser- pressure. But, you know, if you would like to do this, Tina and I are like ready in a moment's notice to get the band back together. No bad blood, no hard feelings. We would we would play with you again anytime you ask. We're totally open. Here's the offer. It's up to you. And and Byrne was like, oh, okay, uh, let me think about it. And they yeah, parted ways friendly. And like a week later, uh, it was announced David Byrne solo headlining Bonnaroo. <laughs> Holy shit. Oh, uh, oh no. And uh, France calls Byrne up and is like, hey, uh, what the heck? And uh, Byrne's like, if you ever mention getting Talking Heads back together to me, I will never talk to you again. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So now Fuck. that is totally hearsay from like friend of a friend of a friend who may, who like apparently knows knows them. Uh, so that is like total, total gossip. Uh, but Oof. if that is true, that is fairly brutal. That uh, is, oh my God. We've, so, we've talked about David Byrne before, uh, specifically when it was new, um, Nick brought in, was it American Utopia, his album from last year, 2018. Yeah, yeah. And we, the, the, uh, the thing that we really got into was comparing David Byrne to George Lucas. Mm. <laughs> uh, and, and there's several other good analogies for this too, but it's where it's like, there is something to being a creative force that when you're not in a good relationship with people who like make you justify your decisions and uh, follow some rules that make sense, uh, you just completely lose it. And yes. that's pretty much how 
we felt about American Utopia was that it was like the prequels where, uh, you know, if you get rid of your editor and then no one calls you on your bullshit, then you end up with some weird shit going on. It's yes. David Byrne. Who's going to tell him no? Yeah. Right. And that that years of, of being David Byrne probably don't make you a better person if I had to <laughs> yes. guess. Uh, I will say that I did see him on that tour, and it rocked, and it was good, and it was very conceptual. Oh, I uh, bet it was super uh, fun live. Uh, no set at all. Like It was a like basically like a marching band. Everybody had, like the whole drum kit was broken down, so everybody had like was marching around with like a single piece of it, and then like horns and <laughs> guitars and stuff. All very choreographed. It was great. But no, I totally agree with that. And I'll tell another story that I heard uh, too along along those same lines. Like towards the end, like after speaking in tongues, when they were uh, having a little trouble, um, like there was starting to be tension in the band, and they were having trouble like figuring out like who basically who got songwriter credits because the rest of the band still felt mm-hmm. it was a collaboration, and Burn absolutely did not. So they tried to come up with a <laughs> system where after they like got like basically had written each song each person would get four slips of paper and each person in the band put like who they thought was most responsible for writing on, for writing the song uh, on each he wrote himself paper. for all of them. Yeah, every single time he would just write himself four times. <laughs> <laughs> oh guys, what a surprise. Uh, yeah. It looks like I get songwriting credit again. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. So all that like David Byrne gossip, which I always have like burning in the back of my head as I listen to talking heads is a way into talking about to why I love this album so much because it feels like such a band playing. It, it feels like a, such a collaboration and uh, it kind right. of de-frontmanicizes uh, Burn and, and really like makes you feel mm. how well everything is working, how tight and well everything is working together. So that's like my big philosophical like conception uh, of, of why <laughs> I love this album. But we can like listen to some songs. Sure, um, yeah. Is there any particular oh, yeah, song we... that... Uh, uh, would yeah. be a good way to introduce it to our audience. Yeah, I got um, uh, I've got like three or four songs off of here that I think are my favorite. Uh, and the one that I'd like to start with is uh, the second track, "A Clean Break," because this does not appear on any other uh, Talking Heads release at all. This is the only where place that this song exists, and uh, I think it rocks. Uh, and it is also um, maybe their angriest, one of their angriest early songs. It's like. Perhaps his only song that's like a clear, like angry breakup song. Um, so right. I'd like to listen to that. All right. Here is a clean break, parentheses, Let's Work by Talking Heads on the live album. The name of this band is Talking Heads. But yeah, I think just to talk about this song a little bit, there's like some very uh, nice emotive guitar work in here. Uh, Tina is is just killing it on these like bouncy descending uh, 
bass octaves like they're just like the groove is like so locked in uh Mm -hmm. and like listen to this you know more than like kind of the production on 77 or uh uh, uh, buildings and food, you can like imagine the small club experience. Like you can imagine like watching this weird nerd holler these songs over these like uh, you know rough guitar lines in CBGB. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like even the album oh, yeah. artwork is like it looks like someone's living room. I yeah, I love like... the the picture the pictures. I am. I'm looking at the artwork. <laughs> it, you know. Well, that's Hold yeah. On, I, is that <laughs> what are you looking at? No, I was gonna make a, just a bad joke. I've, I've decided to remove this joke from the script I was reading. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> little uh, edit on on the fly. Yeah, it says like at least on on Wikipedia, it says it was recorded for like so the first five songs are like recorded on a broadcast. So like it's a live album, but it's like different ways that you can hear the band like. Uh, yeah, some of it sounds mm-hmm. like it's like an actual concert. Some of it's like studio sessions. So like, I feel like is that I feel like that's part of why it sounds so tight. Is also if like if they're in a radio studio, like that's like a good way to hear yeah. these songs too. Is like everything is like leveled in. Yeah, but it, you know, even if if it is like kind of in a more sterile like studio setting, there's something about like just hearing them all just play this rather than you know uh, the uh, more uh, album versions of it. Um. Anyway, I uh, I like a clean break a lot. It's probably one of my favorite uh, Talking Head songs, and this is the only place that you can hear it. That is wild. I wonder. I wonder why that was a choice that they made. Like, yeah, this is the only way to get this song at all. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that that you know kind of also means that there are probably a lot of other uh, you know lost early Talking Head songs that we will that they you know played a few times live that we uh, will never hear. I think there are some like early demos with a few other uh, weird songs that never quite made it anywhere, uh, but this is mm-hmm. uh, this is one of the only like real released like live B sides that exist for this band. Right, and and going back to like live versus studio stuff, like like you got to think like that is part of why like the live experience is so good is because like you listen to an album and. It's like, well, this could be like take number one or take number like 76 and everyone's like super exhausted and tired and just Mm -hmm. like, not to say that they're like not giving their best performance, but like that sort of raw energy that the band brings when they're just blistering through the song live Mm -hmm. is a lot different than, you know, a studio recording. Right. Well, yeah. And then, uh, I mean, a a broadcast performance versus something that is maybe in like an intimate club where you have the the electricity of a live audience. Uh, those are such very uh, disparate experiences as well. Absolutely. As a, as a performer uh, and as, you know, and as the person listening to the recording of it. Yeah, and I mean, I, I, I don't know if this is actually a controversial opinion, but I mean, I'm a, a huge fan of, of live albums, and I know that a lot of people are like, oh, live albums, I never want to listen to that. But, you know, a well-recorded, uh, you know, a- any band that's actually good, I truly believe will sound better live than on their mm-hmm. studio work uh, because that's how bands work. They play music together, uh, and the studio work is meant to capture that. 
rather mm-hmm. than produce a completely new effect. I mean, there are some amazing like studio albums that can only exist within the studio, but that that makes it kind of a different project than being a band, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Andrew? Oh, they're going to say something. I... <laughs> I was gonna say that's that's why I've seen Pitbull perform live forty six times. <laughs> why else would they put him on so many studio of recordings if he wasn't an amazing live performer? <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's like the difference between a band and like an artist. I mean, I yeah. know that's like a, a a weird kind of weird and maybe like only for me. Uh, oh no, we get we get that distinction uh, for sure, especially when it comes to you know we're talking about this live album and why it's you know the order that it takes is going through different eras of a band's evolution. Uh, a thing that uh, we bring up and and I you know I really dropped the ball on the Britney Howard album by messing this up is is the composition of an album is is something that is important and then also is it yeah is it the name of a person or is it the name of a band or is it something in between that is presenting this album and then all of those small pieces factor into like uh what it how we feel about that and so i totally get the distinction of a band versus an artist i fully believe there's some solo artists that i like who would not be super great live because i just don't know how you would do it in an authentic way what you can do in a studio yeah Um, and I mean, uh, this is kind of, th- it's also kind of, you know, known that, um, you know, a lot of hip hop artists uh, mm-hmm. have like somewhat spotty, you know, reputations live uh, because I, I think that like the way that hip hop works is a music and, and like kind of the culture producing songs. This kind of goes back to like a lot of how people release music now is just like a constant stream of songs. You know, somebody like mm-hmm. Future who like when they're on is like putting out new material like every, you know. 60 days or something um Mm -hmm. it's designed for him to just have like a stable of beats and get thoughts in his head and just get into the studio and lay some stuff down and then go think of more Mm -hmm. stuff it's not like designed around like okay i have to get like 10 people around me and they all have to be doing the same thing at the same time to make this song work it's it's just not designed like that you know Um, yeah exactly so even though i saw i i also saw future and he was pretty good he had great uh, uh, <laughs> uh, media, like the, the videos that he played behind him were like very, very good. Just like these uh, weird glitched out videos of strippers. I, you know, I called it a, a, a stripper, stripper glitch was my, my <laughs> name for his whole overall aesthetic there, which I thought was pretty cool. But, you know, it's, it's just a different approach to creating No, I music. think to understand what you're saying, I'm going to need you to put wave in there somewhere. It's, Stripper yeah, glitch wave. Is it, yeah, stripper glitch wave. Is it, oh, now I think I get what you're saying. Is that what all these SoundCloud rappers are doing? <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. I want to go on to another one. Um, yes. I, I would recommend, if people are checking this out, uh, uh, the song Not In Love. Uh, but that's kind of more in the angry, like, breakup version of A Clean Break. But that's just one I'd recommend. Uh, I just want to go to the um, Found a Job. Uh, and I would uh, recommend going to, like, uh, skipping to, like, two or three minutes in and basically listening to, like, the last minute, like, minute and a half of this song for the uh, outro. I also just love this song because it's about uh, <laughs> it's about watching TV and being bored of, about it. So you decide to go write and make your own TV shows and being much happier that way. And it's, it's like this weird, goofy fantasy, but it also... Uh, 
you know, I, it, it tugs at my DIY heartstrings of just being like, yeah, if you don't like all the stuff you're seeing, just go out and make something. Here is Found a Job from the name of this band is Talking Heads by Talking Heads. want to say that like the thing that i love about that is that it's like such a simple riff that he's doing and like that whole outro is just the same thing repeated like 40 times or something but i I think that that's like my favorite moment of just the band being like super tight together and taking something that's really simple and like very naturally and with like very little like subtle inflections about how they're playing things about the way that Chris is hitting the cymbals at different times about how hard he's hitting the riff, how long he's letting the notes sustain, how well it just builds and, and fades in and out, uh, and how mm-hmm. much it rocks and whips and slaps and uh, <laughs> uh, does all the, all the things that you would want in a, a good tight jam from uh, a, uh, a weird robotic funk band. Hell yeah. Yeah, it starts out like pretty laid back and funky, and then at that spot that you mentioned it, it's like it's almost like a, a flip gets switched, and David Byrne just has this really like nasty sneer to it, and it it I feel like that like inspired the band to like oh, okay like we're we're gonna actually you know kind of kick it a little harder like it I don't know it, it's it's really great for like their cohesive like as as an act you know just being able to read off of each other and be like okay this is where we're going yeah uh, yeah and you it's just the four of them jamming out and you can just hear. hear them uh like knowing in, intuitively like where everybody's going in, in it and um yeah it's one of the things i think makes these recordings so uh cool and special well yeah why don't we uh bring it on home something brewed but first it is tradition on the show oh sorry if we're moving on can i can i just do one more song on this yes yes absolutely. oh yeah absolutely I, sorry uh okay and then the final one that i want to play is um you and don't have to you play can, the- you if you think of it, you can also pull a fourth one that we can play as the full out, like the actual outro song to the well, show as a whole. Yeah. So. Why don't we do this? Because the one that I want to bring up is uh, "Born Under Punches," mm-hmm. uh, which is eight and a half minutes long in this recording. Uh, so we're not going to play it all. So I you don't know, know if I I know that one offhand. Uh, is well, track number twenty nine. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds. Yeah, I, so, sometimes I don't listen to all forty songs. Uh, yeah, well, I know that's why I'm, I thank you guys for allowing me to bring in something this uh, expansive. Oh, yeah. But this is back. Oh, this is on their remaining light tour when the band beefed up from like four to thirteen people or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think this song sounds so different live than it does on the album in such a better way. Uh, and it, it just starts with this hypnotic bass groove, um, 
and with uh, uh, Adrian Bilyeu, uh on guitar doing these like insane guitar uh, like soundscapes on it. And uh, what I'll say is that like maybe for now we should start with like the very beginning of this like opening bass riff up to when the band kicks in and then um, maybe as the outro, you can skip ahead six minutes and, uh, <laughs> and, and hear where, when yeah. at the end of this episode, people can hear where this evolves to. But uh, this is like, I just wanted to get one in from the second half of this album where they're doing the full band, yeah, for sure. band stuff. Um, I think that sounds like a great idea. Oh yeah. I was, I was even going to mention that, like looking at the personnel on this record, uh, Adrian, who I know through, uh, his work with Frank Zappa. And then also, uh, Bernie Worrell is on this album. Oh, yeah. The Parliament like, Synths guy. Yeah, yeah, and I was super lucky to see Bernie uh, at Founders Brewery in Grand Rapids. Like, oh, gosh. A fr- it was a free show that he did. It was like Bernie Worrell and like his whole like funk orchestra, and it was incredible. Like He had mountains of synthesizers around him, and mm-hmm. uh, it was really unfortunate when he passed because it was probably one of the coolest shows I've ever been to. Uh, synth, <clears throat> synth legend. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, All right, so here is Born Under Punches, or at least a little bit of it, and then uh, we'll catch you up with more of it near the end of the show. Born Under Punches by Talking Heads on the album, the name of this band is Talking Heads. Another key point about this song is that there is a uh, a point later on in which um, Tina is holding it down on the uh, main bass line, uh, which mm-hmm. I love. Uh, and then they have a second bassist come out and do a slap bass solo in addition to the regular bass line. So <laughs> what? Two, two basses. It's, it's a little deep in the mix, but I've listened to the song like a million times. So, uh, you know, it, I've been able to uh, identify it. Um, that is wild. Yeah. Bass solo. Oh, oh my God. Uh, so, you know, t- two basses. H- how can you argue? I was in a band with two basses for three months when I was in eighth grade. So <laughs> I, 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 I totally understand. <laughs> I, I'm, and I'm sure that you guys equally, uh, you know, settled on the, the excellent format of one person <laughs> walking baseline, second person, uh, <laughs> Just slapping their heart out. Yeah. Uh, oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, how did you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the name so of that band was. I'll bring this up in the Bruce segment because I think it's funny. I have a, a, a very funny Spotify issue. So before we move on, uh, it is tradition on the show to give a weird subjective number score review or kind of anything uh, to... To the, to, to the album you brought in. I don't know why I trailed off in my thought on that one. <laughs> You've heard it. Everyone's heard it. Um, how would you rate this album? 
I mean, this is one of my favorite albums or collections of songs because, you know, an album is maybe the, the original, like, written songs on it. But this is one of my favorite collections of songs. I mean, personally, I give this, you know, uh, number one with a bullet, A plus, 10 out of 10. But for the sake of your show, I will give this, <laughs> I will give this album a love out of Buildings on Fire. <laughs> Hell yeah. All right. Uh, so, brings us to the last segment of the show, Something Brewed. Uh, you were telling us, uh, I believe, before we really got rolling, that you had tried a Dunkin' Donuts collaboration beer with Harpoon. Yes. Is that correct? I am drinking a Harpoon Dunkin' Summer Coffee Pale Ale, uh, which I, uh, you know, I picked up. As I mentioned before, because I figured, because I'd been staring at it in the back of a bodega all summer, and just every time I go in there, being like, it's only a matter of time until I buy this stupid beer. Uh, <laughs> and it figured it, it made thematic sense, you know, brewed two ways: uh, the the Dunkin' Donuts coffee and the brewed beer of the Harpoon. And mm-hmm. uh, I expected it to be very like um, coffee forward, and especially the uh, the Dunkin' Donuts uh, kind of you know a little sickly sweet coffee, which I gotta say I love. I'm a huge Dunkin' yeah. fan. Uh, but it's actually the this coffee... episode brought to you by the fine people, <laughs> dude. If I could get a Duncan sponsorship on uh, and introducing, I would do that in a second. Uh, get at me, Duncan Donuts. Uh, America oh, runs a, on you. Here's, here's and the thing: I if you're you. if you're pushing it, uh, they've rebranded to be just Duncan. They pulled the donuts from the name of the company. Oh, they I, did that. I know. I think that's kind of stupid, but whatever. <laughs> it's like IHOB. Uh, yeah. Well, IHob. yeah. <laughs> They, the thing is, they're like, because Americans are more health conscious than ever, we're not going to put donuts in the name of our donut <laughs> shop. It's like, that doesn't really align for me in any <laughs> real sort of way. Um, but I am pleased to report that the, uh, the coffee flavor is present, but extremely sub- subtle and actually works very well with the um, kind of summer pale ale uh, brew. And um, this beer is, is pretty good. So nice. Uh, it's a good transition I, into fall. I, I I highly recommend looking it up online to our listeners because I don't even I don't know if we can find this uh, where we are in Michigan, but I'll be honest, I haven't been looking. Um, <laughs> but I I do love the can, and it almost looks like it looks so much like what it is purporting to be that I'm still not sure if this is real or if this is an elaborate prank that's being played. <laughs> It's a Nathan Fielder idea. <laughs> like, <laughs> it seems like it. <laughs> it's like it looks. It's like you know what? This is great branding for this beer. It looks exactly right. Something about the whole thing just feels like just just a little wrong. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it, it should be two great tastes that don't taste great together, but somehow it works. Especially like I've had like coffee stouts or coffee porters, and with the dark mm-hmm. beer, it kind of makes more sense. And this is a very like again. The, the inclusion of it being a summer ale, I'm like, okay, coffee, light, I don't know about it. But, you know, it, it tastes a little bit like you poured a really nice summer ale into a, uh, a, a cup that you just finished uh, drinking uh, mm-hmm. iced coffee out of, uh, but have <laughs> not fully washed yet. That reminds me of, uh, I used to, we both work at a brewery here in Michigan, and... Um, we there was a beer. They know by now. <laughs> there was a beer. What, which uh, which uh, brewery do you guys work at? Uh, Bell's. In oh Tom's yeah, Zoo. sure. Two Hearted. Yeah, number one beer in America, baby. 
Well, <laughs> I, well, actually, tomorrow's my last day. So, yeah. uh, but we are we wearing the fucking same shirt? We are wearing the same shirt. Oh, shit. Uh, sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, we classic have this... be- just best friends podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we have this summer beer uh, called Oberon that's pretty popular in the Midwest, and uh, they did a bourbon barrel aged version of it. Ooh, that oh. sounds good. And uh, people were like, "How is it?" And I was like. Well, have you ever, like, not finished drinking your whiskey and poured an Oberon in it? Because <laughs> that's how that tastes. <laughs> you know what? It's curi- I, I'm curious enough to try it. Yeah. So, on our end, we're drinking, actually, a, uh, a double two-hearted. For, uh, a, fo- a four-hearted? You would... There are... So, like, one-third of the comments on the <laughs> social media posts that announced this beer release were just people saying we were dumb for not calling it Four-Hearted. <laughs> I'm saying we too much. None of our comments or opinions are representative of Bell's Brewery <laughs> yeah. or, fu- or any of that at all. Uh, this is just my personal opinion about <laughs> a company that I happen to work for. <laughs> Oberon's good. Bells is good. Uh, thank you, thank you for your service, gentlemen. I I have enjoyed the <laughs> yeah, product of, of your labor on many occasions. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, double two hundred is d- uh, alarmingly smooth for being a double IPA. Yeah, this thing is sitting at eleven percent, and it is. And we we were commiserating uh, before we got on the horn today about um, being really hungover yesterday. <laughs> yeah. There was a, 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 it was our all company meeting on Monday, and it turns out when everyone's in town, you have a few beers, uh, and maybe if you're At like the brewery, me, no, yeah, <laughs> if you're like me, you go out afterward and keep and that, but you switch to whiskey, and then it's even worse. But uh, I was I was really afraid I wouldn't be able to drink this beer at all today, but well, it's going down just fine. I'm glad that you uh, you know bravely soldiered on. <laughs> you know you've got in this industry you've got to yeah it's like <laughs> all right um so uh, s- i mean speaking of michigan brewing I- i'd love to shout out the uh, workshop brewing company in traverse city uh where when we were just when chapa was just up there for the the you know traverse city film festival and our show with michael moore um Nick, you know we you met somebody- that? i did go to that <laughs> nice um oh were you, were you at the michael moore show no, I was at the uh, the live stream. I brought you guys Oberon, actually. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, uh, Virgil just cracked it open on the sidewalk. <laughs> oh, yes, I remember that. Yeah. Uh, that was that was a, a fun, a fun if, uh, you know, a little uh, sloppy show. Um, <laughs> well, just I, I remember halfway through, you guys were just like, oh, there's still like another hour left of this. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Uh, God, I'm. Right, we're, we're, we're all yeah. we're all so mad that they split the uh, the stupid debates into two nights again. It, it's 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 such a farce. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, the workshop brewing company in Traverse City, where I mean, this again bridges uh, um, the uh, the beer music divide that this podcast uh-huh. strives for, uh, where we saw a local Traverse City Joy Division cover band play the workshop (laughs) brewing company uh and they rocked i had such a good time seeing them there i I forget what they called themselves like joy addition joy subtraction joy something about that (laughs) uh but it was like this kid who was probably like i don't know maybe 21 22 he seemed pretty young he was honestly wearing like 
like a white t-shirt, Ooh. a baseball cap, and like uh, basketball shorts uh, on guitar, and then two what appeared to be uh, local dads uh, on drums and bass. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I believe you're describing Joy Decision. Joy Trevor's- Decision. <laughs> Traverse City's premier Joy Division tribute <laughs> band. They're local. Is how they self-style. Uh, well, you know, <laughs> and and honestly, this kid who looked like he just got done playing a pickup basketball game was slaying uh, the Ian Curtis impression and uh, the guitar parts. The guy on bass looked like he was looked like he was Peter Hook's brother. Uh, they were playing <laughs> not like deep cuts, like fucking like Day of the Lords in this brewery Mm -hmm. that was completely surrounded by like Traverse city moms and dads. And they're like kids, like very, very family crowd (laughs) just play. And (laughs) these guys playing like the gothiest, uh, joy division, uh, shit, uh, to the, this honestly smiling and appreciative, very family style crowd as they were all eating barbecue and drinking, you know, craft local craft beers. (laughs) It was a very silly vibe, but I, I was like going out of my mind. I fucking loved it. Uh, shout well, out Joy Decision Shout out Workshop <laughs> Brewery uh, If you had a chance to see the, that band play there uh, Highly recommend That's that's kind of what I loved about the, the film festival Up there when I was up there is I don't know, I feel like you get uh, These these people that probably Are, I would say the, the, like, the political demographic Of like Traverse City is probably like Pretty liberal but not really further than that mm-hmm. Right And so you get a lot of the people who There who probably are just like season past people that just they'll every year it's like oh well it's it's in our backyard so we'll go to it and it's just like i love stuff like that happening where like they go to a craft brewery at this film festival and then they see a joy division cover band or like when i was at the live debate stream uh i you guys mentioned it during the michael moore show but like i remember seeing all of these like older people uh leave about 10 to 15 minutes into the thing and I was like, when oh, they realized is... what it was, <laughs> they're like, oh, this is not what we were expecting at all. And it's like, I, I've only had that other experience, like when I went to go see like the Book of Mormon in Lansing and there was just like a bunch. Of... I was going to say that was I saw a Book of Mormon in Detroit uh, during one of its early tour runs. And uh, the Fisher in Detroit is uh, one of like the first uh, Michigan tour stop usually for like Broadway tours. And you could just see the uh the the pearl clutching <laughs> walking out like old people like what is this shit like it was <laughs> it was amazing yeah like you guys did the, the you said that, like the film festival got emails from angry people about the show or something like that yeah they got one email from somebody that that was like we were just trying to watch the debates uh and you know <laughs> i think it was and they really well advertise that there would be like live commentary on it, and like you know, I can understand uh, you know coming in and being like, you know what, this live commentary isn't for me, and walking out. But be, being like, we were expected to sit in silence in the theater and watch the debates happen. Uh, that's what a <laughs> weird sensation that would be. Yes. Uh, no, and also I, again, like having to, even if we weren't doing the live commentary, like you watching the debates is something that you should do with. Uh, frustrated friends uh who can yeah. do a, like support with each other not like sit 
in silence with your hands folded on your lap, like nodding along to whatever Amy Klobuchar has to say about like <laughs> incentivized tax credits for small business owners or whatever. I've said a lot of nice things about my mom on this podcast, and I'm about to say something. <laughs> hey, mom, it's nothing personal. Uh, I was watching the second debate, the first night of the second debate with my mom, and she was like, I just don't like any of these people. They all just seem so, like, upset about something. (laughs) They're just so, like, they're, like, shouting, and they're like, why are they so intense about all of this? And it was just like, huh. Interesting point. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The number of tweets that are just like, why is Bernie yelling? Or he's always saying the same thing he's been saying. Oh, my God. Yeah, like, yeah, it's... We don't need to dive down too much that, but we were talking about that uh, pretty recently where it's like, like, I don't think it's a criticism to have the same platform as last time necessarily because all the issues are still there. Like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what you do with that. And I, th- I know that there is like a f- actually fairly sizable se- segment of people who are maybe slightly politically engaged, but also like doing basically fine who mm-hmm. are most who are legitimately like uh, you know why can't we all just have a nice time uh with this <laughs> but you know I, yeah. I guess that that's kind of the trap of being like slightly politically engaged but not enough to be like oh there are like a, a, atrocities being done every day at home in this country that we should probably address but like i don't know if you live in yeah. the fucking suburbs of michigan or something you know things other than like the people affected by I don't know all the factory all of the industry of Michigan disappearing in the span of like two decades, uh, you know if you mm-hmm. work in a a segment of of the world that isn't really affected by that I'm sure you're you're like oh I mean I don't know things in the suburbs of Kalamazoo seem pretty okay. <laughs> yeah no there the it, it's it's interesting because there are plenty of neighborhoods in Kalamazoo where you drive through one and it's like historic housing that like students live in but also like a handful of families live in and it's just a lot of them are just dumps that uh, that it's like it's it's kind of neat that they're from the 1890s but also like the landlords around here haven't done any effort in like updating them at all because they just know there's an endless stream of college kids that'll just put up with it and, and they're only going to drive... be living, that, living there for like 18 months and then the next round of people who this is their first apartment ever yeah i yep. mean like I, I remember my college apartments were it, it legitimately off, often seemed like the ceilings were going to cave in but it was like a <laughs> house over our heads where we could like put our beers and like laptops inside mm-hmm. yep. so it's like we didn't really but, care but then you go like two streets down and it's just like mansions just yes. absolute like huge mansions absolutely i mean it, that that it's, is it's wild that is extremely uh the evanston vibe uh the uh around like northwestern gotcha. um, like there's a new apartment complex that's being put in kalamazoo a studio and, and you know what this might be a little different than new york city pricing i understand that uh a studio is like 912 dollars. a single bedroom is like 1250 and a two bedroom is like 1500 and yeah. for for the context of what is normal in kalamazoo uh, if you're paying for more, if you're paying more than 300 a bed, you're overpaying. And I know <laughs> housing is super cheap here, but like, it's like, huh, that's very detached from who actually lives downtown in this city. Because most of us that lived in, and I used to live relatively close to downtown in what is affectionately known as the student ghetto. I didn't really <laughs> feel like leaving that when I was, uh, o- like older. I was like, this is fine. This is totally fine. 
who the fuck wants to live three minutes closer to downtown and pay <laughs> five times as much? Uh, no idea. Pharmaceutical yeah. company. I mean, is who? yeah. I mean, in my neck of the woods here in Brooklyn, it's just uh, been like, you know, <laughs> when my parents come to town and we're like walking through the streets uh, of, you know, I used to live in this neighborhood of New York called Gowanus that was this old like industrial canal neighborhood. And, you know, you walk by every single thing that has like a green boarded up with green in front of it, like under construction, new project. And they'd be like, Oh, what's going in there? And I'm like, high rise condo. And then we walk like six more, you know, half a block more in another construction site. Oh, wh- what, what's that going in there? High rise condo. <laughs> it's just like every new project oh. is that. And then you hear reports every like few months. It's like 70% of new construction condos have been unoccupied for more than a year. And you're like, I wonder why. This, yeah, this this seems like something you know, tr- as uh, Gary Larson would would title in his uh, Farside comics, uh, "Trouble Brewing." <laughs> <laughs> oh oh right. man, real quick, what are your thoughts on Gary Larson coming back? I, did he actually release a new comic? Because I haven't seen so, it. So I don't I don't know if I'm it's, on it. I, okay, Andrew's on the case. I I don't know. So I saw some people talking about it, thinking that it's just going to be the Farside being released on the internet because sure. I've read that Gary Larson is very opposed to his comics being on the internet and like i think he's actually pretty uh quick to send a cease and desist if you post it but um it sure did sound like he was at least partially coming out of retirement like the way that it it it, it was like announcing a new website or something like that but it, it does seem like he's going to start making uh cartoons again and that was kind of like part of the twitter discourse was like is he gonna come out and he's gonna be like really cool or is he gonna be like you know the uh, like another reactionary old man yells at cloud type figure, and it's kind of like Schrodinger's Gary Larson, where it's like ah, <laughs> you beat me. Uh, you you saw that I saw that, and an, I mean that is like a very pessimistic way. And I mean I honestly, who fucking knows? But I would say I, it, it had me thinking a little bit about uh, about the far side, and the far side is like weirdly one of the most apolitical things that is also as funny as it is uh yeah it, it very far side very much has like a throwback like like almost like early 20th century like vaudeville slapstick sensibility to it that that always seemed like out of a different universe and very not related to anything that was happening contemporaneously i guess in like the early late 80s early 90s so I mean, like I don't know if that's still his sense of humor. I'm not. I'm not really sure. Like if he comes out and he's mm-hmm. doing a bunch of like Trump illustrations or something, it's gonna feel very non farsighty because the farsight never had that kind of stuff in it. It's mostly about like uh, cows contemplating their own mortality or whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I mean, I, like... I would say it's probably the second funniest comic strip of all time. Okay. <laughs> Nick can see that I have I a bunch of family circus cartoons. <laughs> <over>. <laughs> uh, on the website, it says "Uncommon, Unreal, and Soon to Be Unfrozen: A New Online Era of the Far Side is Coming." That's mm-hmm. very vague. So yeah, very the, vague. and the and the thing is, there the, I was reading it. I quickly squimmed, scrimmed, scr- oh my god, scanned through a uh, New York Times article uh, about this situation, and the conjecture is mostly that just because he is. Uh, had so many people take his comics off the internet that he might just be trying to cash in on an online, like, basically put it out as a webcomic so that you can scrape in your own ad revenue. But maybe uh, there'll be new stuff. Honestly, uh, 
uh, more power to him. He, look, if I was going mean, yeah, to get... him, I would say that you should release this database and honestly just publish each far side once a day in order of how they were released originally. Because I feel like that that would be such a thing on Twitter of basically, or like on Twitter, Facebook, wherever online, of, of being like just remembering how good all these far sides are and getting them like one at a time. It would it mm-hmm. would make it feel like oh today's far side is another classic, you know. Well, yeah, and you could do that with like relatively little work uh, after you get the whole thing set up in the first place. Yeah. Uh, no, the far let's side see, rocks. Let's... Gary Larson uh, rocks. Um, well, we're getting yeah. to about the end of the show here, and this is usually where uh, people who have things to plug <laughs> like to plug them. Uh, Chris, you have anything you wanna uh, you wanna plug? Couple of pet projects. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, you can uh, you can listen to Chapo Trap House or not. Uh, <laughs> Ch- Chapo is doing fine. Uh, if you like this, <laughs> uh, listen to and introducing it's my podcast. Uh, where we uh, cover artists one at a time, usually through a work of writing, usually a memoir or a biography, sometimes like a longer um, you know, piece of journalism or music writing in like Rolling Stone or something. Uh, but yeah, we try to keep it pretty diverse and mostly have fun with it and you know, try to keep our minds open about uh, you know, why artists are good on their own terms, although it has been a uh, tough run for me as my, uh, my, my co-host and fiancé. Uh, Molly has has made us do both Radiohead and Vampire Weekend uh, in the last like two or three <laughs> w- episodes. Two of the bands that even when I'm trying to ke- keep my mind as open as possible, I just cannot get into. Um, so oh, interesting. Uh, I've, oh, I've wow. Had to... You you just hit you just did a little one two to us. Where <laughs> I'm a, I'm a really big Vampire Weekend fan, and and Nick is doing his best to get us sued by tom york tom york <laughs> just because he wants to be noticed <laughs> i know and i feel so bad about it because it has been uh, as molly described a uh, a bit of a heel turn for me in these uh episodes um, <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> because i know that they're they're beloved by a lot of people and like uh i mean i understand i get why people love radiohead it's just not for me vampire weekend is the one where where i'm like i do not know why this band is as big as it is or as <laughs> as they are. Th- that's the one that i just uh can't <laughs> quite grok um though immediately after we released that vampire weekend episode uh somebody dm me and was like uh oh ezra was just talking on his internet radio show about how he likes chapo and it's a good pro- uh, uh podcast so i was like oh uh maybe uh want to walk back that <laughs> take a little bit uh but you know ezra i respect i respect your musicality and musicianship it is just a hundred percent not for me <laughs> well uh oh and I, I will also say why well, i'm just oh uh you can find chapo any place or not chapo you can find and intro any place uh podcasts are downloaded um iTunes uh, and our SoundCloud is as always at soundcloud.com slash and dash intro dash pod. Um, if I can do one more cool. thing, we will, uh, uh, I, we will leave very, links for all of that in the episode description, etc. If I can plug just one more thing for Chapo, I recently uh, edited the video of our live show um, in Providence where we played Call of Cthulhu live and I got to do a little on stage like music and Foley sound effects. Uh, I'm very proud of oh, that. That's I awesome. Think Everybody killed it on that episode. I think it's very funny. Uh, I think it's good and goofy, and um, 
Yeah, mm-hmm. and you get to see it on video instead of a podcast. So it's a little different. So uh, that's on, uh, you know, if you search for um, uh, uh, Chapo Trap House uh, Tabletop Game Theory live on YouTube, you can find that. Awesome. Um, yeah, regarding and introducing, though, uh, I will say I will also plug that show because I've listened. I've only listened to a couple episodes. Uh, it was just uh, a weird turn of events where I reached out to you to be on the show and then you released an episode about 9-11 and then Radiohead, which are two things that are like throw lines in our show. Yeah. <laughs> because we, one, we, like... We went like our first five episodes somehow... We kept referencing 9-11. <laughs> it, and it was like not on purpose at all, but it was like, oh, I, I think my... You know, I think I let off in like second, second episode pretty strong by talking about one of my favorite albums, Is This It? by The Strokes. And it's like released right after September 11th. We talked about... Uh, New York City Cops. Yeah. Mm, yes. And at Gopold, we talked about Ben Folds. Our uh, first episode. Suburbs really early. That's released on 9-11. And it just like somehow, we didn't pick that. We, we didn't choose it in that direction. It just but we like get into up. the studio each time and be like, ah, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Here it is again. <laughs> well, that's why we did the 9-11 episode because it, it you know, again, we, we discovered also that like, it is like this, Spider-Man I mean, obvious, had a teaser. Spider-Man 2 or Spider-Man 1 had a teaser with the spider-man putting a yeah, web the between web between the, the, the two towers <laughs> i mean it, it makes uh. sense because it is obviously like the most traumatic event in all of our like the most traumatic single event in almost everyone who's a living musician's lifetime mm-hmm. um so it but it, it it does it it pops up in weird ways and it is this like major inflection point in which like not only did politics in the world, but also like culture and music, like just took a, a weird, you know, a turn, and like things started changing in different styles very rapidly. Like right after that, and and some old styles died, and some new styles started coming about. It's it's a very interesting like inflection point in literally everything. So I think it makes sense that it keeps coming up again and again in music as well. Yeah, like, we, I don't know, that's like a, a theme that we've touched upon on our show is like talking about uh, like the 2016 election and like how a lot of music that has come out after that from like solo artists has been... Yeah, what was the one that, what, what was the one? The uh, Was it the David Byrne one? No, no who sings, yeah, well, David Byrne was like that too. Um, who sings uh, that Fly fly Away? Oh, Lenny Kravitz. Lenny Kravitz. <laughs> the, the Lenny Kravitz album had some very just like dime store you know i don't think what's happening in this country feels right kind of stuff (laughs) where it's like oh wow inspiring yeah it yeah it's it's sort of turned some some artists to the worst like yeah um i mean along those lines i think we're gonna have an episode coming up in sometime later in the fall uh with a returning guest david turner who is a a great writer on music and labor um Mm -hmm. about kind of the the turn towards uh anxiety in music in uh like how a lot of pop music has become very uh um introspective and and you know a lot about depression and anxiety and and how that's one of the predominant moods so i think that that will be a an interesting addition to this conversation hopefully if we have that that episode out i don't know in the next few months yeah that does sound really interesting yeah cool well uh i think that's gonna about do it for us here uh, I do kind of want to say uh, to uh, our regular listeners, um, this is probably 
my last episode as the full-on standard co-host for the show. Uh, I'm pretty much moving to Washington in like 30 hours. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, Washington driving State, all the way out because there. I, I always forget to specify. And yeah, driving out there, and it, this show is a little hard to do when there are three people who are all remote. So yeah, in a uh, three-hour time difference. Nick and I aren't entirely sure uh, what's going to happen. The show will go on. Uh, not sure if there's going to be a full-on replacement or what we're, we're going to do. We're working on it. But uh, I do want to just throw that out there now. So uh, thanks for just a little over two years of, uh, of some fun. Yeah. It's been a good time. Yeah, it's been a great time. Well, um, <laughs> as always, <laughs> up until now... <laughs> Uh, I, I've, I'm Andrew J. Pytel. I'm Nick Lancaster. And with us today has been... Chris Wade. And this is uh, Something Old. Something New. Something Borrowed. Yeah! <laughs> and Something Brewed. Uh, we're playing you out today with a little bit more talking, talking heads. heads. Um, so we'll see you on Side B.